Welcome back to Two Keto Dudes. This is Carl Franklin from Connecticut in the United States. And in February 2016, I put myself on a ketogenic diet to take control of my metabolism. In just two and a half months, I managed to reverse all my markers of type 2 diabetes with diet alone. As of now, I'm 80 pounds lighter with no signs of diabetes or heart disease. Hi, I'm Richard Morris in Canberra, Australia. I've been on a ketogenic diet since April of 2014. Actually, it's April of 2018 right now, so yeah. yesterday I was exactly four years ketogenic. Wow, that's great. Yeah. Well done. So when I started, I was very sick with complications from type 2 diabetes, and within six months of starting ketogenic diet, all of my biomarkers of disease had disappeared. I've lost about 100 pounds. I've completely turned my health around. And this show is a document of our experiences thriving for years in ketosis. Yes, it is. And hopefully we might help a few people who are curious about this kind of dietary hacking. Yeah, we're not doctors. We don't want to give anyone any medical advice, but we are keen to share our own experiences. We're actually both software developers, so we're not afraid of a little technical detail, are we, Carl? No. <laughs> <laughs> We've done some research into our own deranged metabolisms, the science behind them. We hope to share some of that research. Where possible, we intend to put links in the show notes to cite research supporting any claims that we make. You'll probably work out pretty quickly that we are both foodies. We love to cook and we love to eat. Mm -hmm. In every episode, we both share a keto recipe that cannot be ignored. No, it cannot. All right, so let's start podcast number 114. John Wright on metabolic efficiency. So, Richard, do we have any apologies or corrections from last week's show? That was uh, 113. Thomas Seyfried may have just cured cancer. Yeah. Actually, we had a couple of errata from that. We had a bunch of people complaining that we were using link-baited titles. And yes, yeah. that was kind of link-baity. We did that intentionally. That's right. The reason why is because... His theories could be easily falsifiable if somebody was to put money into doing the research. That's right. The fact that everybody's ignoring it is unconscionable. Yep. And people who have cancer diagnoses need to be able to take this information to their doctors and ask, are you across this? Do you know this, uh, this study? What do you think of this? Is this something I should reasonably look into? And if, if your right. physician says, no, I don't think that's reasonable, then fine. But, you know, at least they're aware of it. In most cases, yes. these physicians just aren't aware of the, the research. So, um, so that's why we were link-baiting. Exactly. And as a scientist, Professor Seyfried would like nothing more than people to try to refute the theory. Absolutely. As you said, falsify the hypothesis. Yeah. But that's not happening either. No, it's being ignored. Yeah, so you can understand his level of frustration, as you heard in his voice. Yeah. And especially, uh, you know, he says, when you know what I know and you've seen what I've seen, you know, you can't unsee it. Right. So. So we're not apologizing for the link bait. <laughs> no, not <laughs> at all. Very intentionally. And the other thing that I want to mention is a couple of episodes ago, I listed a bunch of dietitians who are hero dietitians who are uh, looking into low-carb diets and helping their their patients right and i forgot karen zinn from new zealand 
Yeah. So my apologies. She is another hero dietitian who I missed mentioning in my list. And the other one we've missed is Amy Berger, who's actually a nutritionist, not quite a dietitian, but uh, still um, right. another uh, one who we really, you know, Daisy Brackenhall interviewed her just on a recent Keto Woman podcast. And right. we really should have uh, interviewed Amy Berger before now. So yep. I apologize yeah, for that. A little embarrassing, yeah. but we'll get to it, <laughs> we Amy. We certainly will. Definitely. So let's revisit what a ketogenic diet is. Sure. A ketogenic diet is any diet that puts you into a state of nutritional ketosis. Mm -hmm. This is where you're burning fat for fuel mm -hmm. instead of glucose as your primary fuel source. Yeah. Where do the ketones come in? Well, the ketones are the byproduct of fat metabolism. Right. And these are ketone bodies that your cells can use for fuel, mm. as well as the fatty acids from fat that you eat in process yep. or it comes off your body. Yep. So one surefire way to get into nutritional ketosis is to limit carbohydrates to 20 grams or less every day. And you want to get those carbohydrates not from starch or sugar, but from, you know, vegetables, maybe a little uh, cream or cheese, some nuts, stuff like that. But not vegetables like potatoes. That's right. Yeah. Non-starchy vegetables, yeah, yeah. green leafy vegetables. Yeah. Protein is moderate on a ketogenic diet. Of course, you know, there's protein wars going on all the time. Sure. And, there, you know, we've done shows on protein. But just to say that it's moderate. Mm. You don't want too much. Everything else comes from fat. Fat that you eat and fat that's on your body. Yeah. That Krispy Kreme that you ate a decade ago. I'm still that's dying right. out on that. <laughs> yeah. So how was your week, man? It was interesting. Well, you know, we bought a house Right. Uh, you know, I mentioned that last week. That was sort of the end of my week. And uh, we've decided to live in it. We were going to rent it out uh, because where we're renting in Canberra is really cheap rent. So, but yeah, we okay. decided we, we want to live in this place and we want to build out a really nice kitchen. Um, so I'm planning to do some live kitchen capers uh, in the near future yeah. in, in my place too. I love it. The other interesting thing was uh, I did my midterms, right? So right. I did two biology subjects and one chemistry subject. And by the time I did human biology, which was my last subject, uh, I was 100 hours faster. <laughs> so, oh, man. What's more, that before the exam, I did a, a prac, which is a muscles and movement prac, where I was the subject. So I was running up and down the oval and getting my internal temperature and my blood pressure tested. I don't know the term prac. I mean, I, you. It's a practical study. Okay. It's kind of like, I mean, it, it's it, in chemistry, you'd have a lab where you go into the lab and you do some chemistry. In biology, you do a practical, which is where you you measure something and you graph it and, you know, this kind of I thing. I gotcha. So I was running up and down the field. And, I, of course, I'm cycling into university and back. And I am I am producing like 2.5 millimoles per litre uh, <laughs> of uh, ketones. I am just- Your brain was on fire, absolutely. man. Absolutely. And it was intentional. I just wanted to do that extra exercise in a fasted state so that when yeah. I went into that exam, I was in fine form. And of course, the other thing is that my lecturer in nutrition- <laughs> This is kind of funny because, <laughs> I mean, he made statements like uh, nobody's really in a low-carb diet unless they get their respiratory quotient tested. And uh, he also said that, uh, you know, it's a fad diet, the, the low-carb diet, and it, it really, the, right. the, the low-carb 
nature of the diet isn't what's helping people lose weight. It's the fact that it, it makes them eat fewer calories. And yeah, yeah, that's kind of true, but it's also wrong. And so anyway, yeah. and he was also saying that people who are fasted consume a lot of protein. You know, they, they burn up a lot of protein uh, in the fast. They burn up all their lean muscle mass, right. their working muscles. And of course, yeah, somebody, yeah. somebody who's in a ketogenic state is already sort of like 14 days into into the fasted state where where you're in a protein sparing mode anyway. So anyway. Sure. <laughs> Some of this is that I'm sitting in this exam now. Um, I'm 52, and everybody mm. else in the class is 18. Okay, yeah, so right. That's, that's <laughs> the, the first old man. thing. I'm the old man, and now I know I've been doing running up and down the oval and getting sweaty, and <laughs> and my and and I got to the exam and I wasn't on the list, so they had to make a special table for me right up the front of the room, and I was basically mm. right up against the blackboard <laughs> on my own little <laughs> table, and my. My gut was making sounds like really <laughs> loud. I mean, <laughs> and so there I was, the old dude in the front of the room with his nose up against the blackboard, stomach making really loud, weird sounds. So, so that was. Did that anybody was my say, experience. "Hey, dude, yeah. can you turn can, that can, down can, a notch? Can you turn that down a bit?" So, but anyway, I think I, I think I did pretty well in the exam. There was a lot of trick questions. For uh, the the guy really hates low carb diets and thinks they're bogus. So, so you had to appeal to him. Well, no, I had to. Here's how I studied. Okay, so I rewatched the six lectures that he did because they were all recorded live at double speed with a pen and paper, and I was noting down every point where he was wrong. And mm-hmm. I did this. I did this revision like the night before the exam because I didn't want any of that information that I was storing going into long term memory. I wanted it yeah. in short term memory so <laughs> that it would, it, you know, it would be wasted. So I only used it in the exam. That's funny. Biohacking your brain. That's right. I'm sure you did great. I hope so. Because you were taking exams all week, that's why you weren't on the Obesity Code podcast. Yeah. Yeah, you did a really good, good job of impersonating me. That uh, that explanation yeah, right. was I, really good. I thought, Carl did a really good Richard. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So. I came in with the factoids. Yeah. So, how was your week, Carl? It was pretty good. I started, uh, you know, I started doing live streams mm-hmm. from, you know, and you're going to be doing some from Australia pretty yep. soon. But absolutely, uh, I started doing the the kitchen cooking demonstrations, and I'm calling it Carl's Keto Kitchen. Nice. So last Thursday, I did uh, the chorizo queso, mm-hmm. and uh, that we did at Keto Mini Fest, right? And I also showed how to make keto fried rice. Sure. And both of them came out. So great. And, <laughs> you know, Chef Robert's a little bit new to keto as a concept, but yeah. he's certainly not new to cooking and food. And ketogenic is just food. Yeah. Guy's a genius. Yeah. Yeah, he is. Yeah. So he took a taste of that when we were done. And he's like calling all the people in the, you know, all of his staff over, Kyle, Lacey, <laughs> you got to come. You got to come taste this. Elvis. There's a guy that works there named Elvis. Yeah. <laughs> I met him. Yes, there he is. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm going to say the joke, but you yeah. know, every time he says bye, we say Elvis <laughs> has left me. me, and he rolls his eyes like, "Oh, geez, I never heard that before." <laughs> I'm like, "Dude, I, don't blame me. I didn't name you." Yeah, he handed me a mojito at one point, and I said, "Thank you, thank you very much." 
<laughs> he's a good natured guy and you know and so robert's like thor you got to taste this oh my god this is amazing and it's really good because robert's child is sensitive to rice yeah she is and and loves it but mm. you know her gut gets all messed up so he's uh, he's got a new product to feed her nice so i'm doing another carl's keto kitchen live stream on thursday night i'm gonna try to do these on thursdays mm. Um, so all you have to do is subscribe to us on your favorite social media platform. And currently we're on four for live streaming, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Twitch. Twitch.tv. Mm. And Twitch is known for being a live game platform. So you can watch people play games and talk about them. Yeah. But um, they also support any kind of stream and Amazon purchased them. Mm-hmm. And so if you have an Amazon Prime account, you can watch the stream on Twitch Without any of the ads. Nice. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. So again, this is Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern. And uh, we're specifically doing it around dinner time on the East Coast because that's when, you know, people start thinking about food. Right. Getting hungry and stuff. And we want to encourage people to come to Keto Mini Fests and Keto Fests. Sure. So that's why we're doing it. And of course, after that, it goes and stays on YouTube forever. Yeah. And Facebook. Mm. That was my week, man. Yeah. That was awesome. So uh, next, I think we normally give away some loot, don't we? Yeah. Let's give away some swag. Yeah, yeah. Let's do that. So who have we got? Well, we're going to give away a Two Keto Dudes coffee mug that says Keep Calm and Keto On on it mm-hmm. to one lucky member of the Two Keto Dudes fan club. All and right, if you don't yeah. know what that is and you want to join up, just go to fanclub.twoketo.com. Mm-hmm. And answer a few questions, and now we know who you are. Yeah. Every show, we pick somebody from that list and send them out a piece of swag. Sweet. So, who's one? So, today's winner is Brian De Bruin. Congratulations, Brian. Brian De Bruin. I believe I said it correctly. Mm-hmm. And uh, he just won that uh, coffee mug just for being a member of the fan club. And, of course, if you don't want to wait to win some swag, you can always buy some. All sorts of swag online at gear.tokido.com Absolutely. And that brings us to the segment we call Mail 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 Call Alright. So what do you got, Carl? Alright, this one's from the forum. Mm-hmm. I am now eight weeks in the keto way of life, and I now see what everyone was talking about. (laughs) Last week, I was so tired, but I had lost weight, and I just thought, hang in there. The rest of the benefits are coming. I happened to listen to the salt fix. That's one of our episodes on Two Keto Dudes. And a light bulb went off. I googled electrolytes on this forum and followed Brenda's recipe for keto aid, and voila! I feel energized and creative and not hungry. Outstanding. I have made it to fat adapted. Nice. I even fasted for 23 and a half hours. Mm. I had to make my family dinner, and at that point (laughs) I got hungry, so I didn't make it to 24. I'm so proud of myself and very, very excited, in case it wasn't obvious. (laughs) Thank you to this forum of incredibly kind and patient people, and to Richard and Carl for their amazing podcasts that keep me focused and feel supported in this new and wonderful rest of my life. Well, you're welcome. You are so welcome. Mm Mm-hmm. And the forum she's talking about is uh, a free forum. It's called the Ketogenic Forums. It's not a Two Keto Dudes branded forum. Everybody's there. Yep. And you can get there at forum.twoketo.com. Right. So what do you got, man? So I've also got one from the forum. And uh, this one is the opposite side of that story. Uh, this 
person says, uh, today is two weeks on keto. I don't like to obsess over my weight, so I tend to stay away from the scale. I decided to wait a week before I weighed myself, and I weighed last Friday, and I'd lost nothing. I weighed today, and it's the exact same weight. I've not deviated one time from eating the correct foods and staying within my macros. My body doesn't feel any different. Nothing fits better. My stamina while exercising is still in the tank. I'm super bummed. I keep telling myself that even a few pounds would be encouraging, but now I'm completely discouraged, and I kind of want to ditch this diet. The last few mm. days I've been intermittent fasting, mostly because I work at nights, and I normally never eat past 10 or 11 p.m. So finishing eating by 8 to 10 p.m. and not resuming eating until I wake up the next day isn't a big stretch. So what do I do? Wow. Yeah. The first thing I think of is um, working nights. Right. Your circadian rhythm is off. And yeah. uh, I, I I don't know how the body adjusts to that. Yeah. But uh, I don't think it does very well. Yeah. And, and I, I find the best results are, for me, weight-wise, when I stop eating you know, before the sun goes down, basically. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and that's toward, you know, in the middle of my day, mm. 3 p.m. or so. And if I go to bed at 11 o'clock, you can see that there's like six hours after I stopped eating before I go to bed. Right. If I simply eat two keto meals a day, mm. you know, and eat the last one late, I won't lose any weight. Wow. So I'm I'm with you. I, yeah. think, it, I think it might be the timing thing. What do you think? I think for her, she's only been doing it two weeks. So that explains why she goes for a run and feels awful because yep. she's not fat adapted yet. She's not able to get yep. energy into her cells fast enough because her cells are still expecting glucose to come along one day. So they're holding right. out and they're just keeping all their glucose machinery going just in mm. case this drought of glucose is just for a couple of weeks. Eventually, yeah. they're going to give up and they're going to become good at getting fat into your cells and then you can get energy into your cells uh, faster than you can you, you can burn at most cases and i mean right. we know of people who exercise for four or five hours without pause at, at maximum levels of intensity and you know mm. this is just a remarkable feature uh, most glucose burners can only do that for about two hours and they fall apart that's right so um so i think for for exercise uh, performance you you really want to wait for at least six to eight weeks uh, the other thing is that she's only got 10 pounds to lose so yeah. you know that that's a big difference between somebody like me who had i mean i had a hundred pounds to lose and yeah. so when i went keto uh my body was just ready to give up all that fat. It really didn't want that fat, but it didn't know what to do with it until right. I dropped my insulin. As soon as I got my insulin down, my body goes, right, yeah, I know I know what to do with this fat. I can use right. it for energy. So, but um, 10 pounds of body fat, it just isn't a whole lot. So your body's going to naturally resist losing it. It will. It's actually pretty safe to keep that on you. Yeah. So in case of emergency. And the other thing is, I mean, you should have lost some water weight. When you stop eating mm. carbohydrates, uh, you should uh, draw down the glycogen that you've got stored in your liver and in your muscles. And that glycogen is your stored form of glucose. And for every gram of uh, glucose that's stored, you have like three grams of water that because it's stored in a hydrated state. So as right. you burn that all down, most of us lose, you know, three or four kilograms, you know, five or six mm. pounds. Mm when we start going keto, doesn't happen with everybody. And there's a few people like one of our f friends um, went keto and did not lose any weight for six weeks. Yeah, she gained weight. She gained weight, yeah. Yeah. She noticed after three or four weeks her mental acuity 
really improved and it was for that reason like basically she was ADD before keto and when she was uh, keto for about three four weeks she was started writing mm-hmm. books you know being able to concentrate mm-hmm. for like five six hours at a time so then again we know somebody uh, Lacey down at uh, RD86 who mm-hmm. is fit and and thin and doesn't have a lot of body fat I wouldn't even say she has 10 pounds to lose she's She's right where she needs to be, right? You know, in terms of in terms of cosmetically, mm. the way she wants her body to look. But uh, but she went keto and and was able to do it easily, and you know, lives on bacon now, where she wasn't eating a whole lot of meat before. Wow! And and she's staying for the mental acuity. Mm. She's doing it because she feels better, not because she needs to lose weight. So it's you know, every, everybody's got a different story. Yeah, I saw her on her second day at the first keto mini fest. So yep. uh, that's outstanding. I just saw her yesterday, and she's still doing it. And, you know, it's great. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, so this is a part of the show, and uh, I know it took us 25 minutes to get here, but <laughs> we have a great, a great interview that you did, Richard, while you were in Perth. I did. Uh, in March with mm-hmm. none other than John Wright. Uh, before we start, I know you, after a while in the, in the interview – you did sort of define the respiratory quotient, but right. you, you guys talked about it before it was defined. So can you define what RQ is? Yeah, it's, it was actually one of the exam questions I had this last <laughs> week on midterms. Uh, the respiratory quotient is the ratio of the oxygen that you breathe in and the carbon dioxide that you breathe out. And ah. when you burn glucose, you exhale more carbon dioxide than when you burn fat. And so that ratio basically... It enables us to determine uh, what what fuel you're using. The other thing that we talk about in this uh, presentation is that they also measure the amount of oxygen that you breathe in and your oxygen that you breathe out because, you know, we're always exchanging some oxygen uh, coming out. Mm. And that will tell them how efficient your mitochondria is using up oxygen. And uh, oh. so that, so that, that's, uh, that's the, the, the mitochondrial efficiency that they're talking about. All right, very good. So let's uh, roll the interview and then we'll see you on the other side. So I'm here in, uh, at Low Carb Perth. Uh, with John Wright, and John is one of the people behind Low Carb Perth. Is that right? Uh, well, yes. I Rod and Joe Kosterich, uh, Rod Taylor, Joe Kosterich, and myself uh, helped put this together. Yeah, mm. and it was an awesome presentation. It's it's interesting because we had a lot of type one diabetic information, which is unique. I mean, for a lot of these low carb conversations, it's mostly about type two diabetes and obesity, and that I found unique, and also. Um, the presentations were compact and, and insightful, and so you put together a great a great show. So thank you for that. Well, we were really fortunate to have um, some seasoned low carb presenters mm. like Troy Stapleton, Dr. Sure. Troy Stapleton. Yeah, obviously he talks about his personal experiences, mm. but Troy recommended we met up with Rebecca Johnson, right? Okay, who like you, I'd not heard before, mm. but I thought it was a really impactful yeah. um, speech. And I realize now, of course, that I am a sardine, um, <laughs> uh, which You'll find out more explore. about that uh, <laughs> on the podcast that we will record with Becca. Yes. Yeah. So, no, look, we were really pleased. Um, I think it was, it was a testament to the skill of the presenters mm-hmm. to understand the audience. Mm. And that's why they came. They, they weren't designed as TED-type talks. Mm. But I think that's the way um, science is moving. Yeah. Um, and uh, sort of 
pre- you know, when you have young presenters mm. that can take really dry science, mm. like systematic reviews, yes, and and instill sort of life and enthusiasm in them, like Jessica Turton, like Jessica Turton, yeah. you, you know, you've got uh, um, you've got some really good presenters. Mm. So no, it was a good day. The feedback from the audience was excellent. The audience was very diverse as yeah, well. Yeah, we had a lot of physicians in the audience. Didn't yep, we? we had physicians, we had researchers, mm-hmm. um, and I thought some of the questions were really insightful and it suggested we had a, uh, an enthusiastic and knowledgeable yeah. audience. We so had hopefully some, we'll do one next year if we yeah, can as well. that's awesome. Yeah. We had some, also had some anthropologists working in remote communities. We yep. had all sorts of people, so that was it. That was a good – it was um, – it, it came together very quickly and, look, I think generally everybody took something away. Mm. Um, at, um so it was good, good yeah. meeting. So, so tell me more about MHS. This is the company that you run, and yep. uh, you have a device that you you tortured me with <laughs> at Low Carb Gold Coast. Yeah, tell us about that device, and tell us about the business that you're building around it. Okay, so some years ago, we developed a uh, a piece of technology called an indirect calorimeter. Okay. And I'll explain a little bit about that in a second, but I'll probably start with a question, mm. which is, where does the weight go when you lose it? That's an interesting question. Where does the weight go when you lose it? Well, it's, it, it turns out um, that virtually all of it, you breathe out. And mm. if you think about it, what we tend to do is we, we, we breathe out carbon dioxide and water. Right. And we, we use oxygen um, to help oxidize the food that we use to turn into fuel. Um, And the analogy that I use, being a a naughty (laughs) schoolboy, is that if you remember your your chemistry lesson with the Bunsen burner, when you close the ring off, Mm. the flame is all orangey and all the boys, you know, would put their hands through. Okay. And then when you open the ring up and you bring oxygen into the flame, it gets much hotter and only the really foolish ones (laughs) put their hands through. Yeah. Well, that's the, the, in the part of the cell where that, that um, uh, conversion occurs, the, the mitochondria, mm. um, we need oxygen to convert that food into fuel. So we thought, wouldn't it be great if we could build a tool that would help clinicians and health professionals measure that energy yeah. use? Okay. Now, the science around indirect calorimetry is very mature. Mm. In fact, the, uh, the, 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 the calculations that we use currently, or most people use currently, um, to estimate the amount of energy we require, right. or food we require, comes from these calorimetry experiments. Yeah. Um, so we just thought, could we, you know, could we take a, a huge you know, machine or room-sized machine mm. and bring it down into something that was simple, affordable, and easy for clinicians to use. So that was the origins of the business. Right. Um, some six years ago now. Mm. Yeah. And the device is about the size of a shoebox. Yep. And it has two tubes coming out, and the two and the and the tubes go into a mouthpiece. And the the person who's being tested wears the mouthpiece, and they get told. Well, first of all, they get told to fast for at least six hours. Yep. Before the test, and then they 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 get told to just breathe normally. I think. Really. Yes. And. And what it does is it picks up the amount of oxygen uh, that and the amount of CO2 that you're breathing out, and that ratio tells you some interesting things. So if this was a research project mm-hmm. um, looking at basal metabolism, looking at, the, looking at the energy we require to live, right. there are some very stringent c- 
criteria laid down mm. in terms of fasting, resting. Um, because what we want to do is, we, we, in, in a research project, we want to calculate what's the minimum amount of energy we require right. uh, to survive. Mm. Okay. Uh, and that tells us all sorts of things about how efficient our cellular systems are. Sure. But in a clinical sense, what we want to understand is is how much energy do we really need? Yeah, how much are you using right now? How much are we using? So, so you're right. We measure both the inspired and expired oxygen, mm -hmm. and we measure the expired carbon dioxide. Right. But we need to do that in a as controlled a way as practically possible. Mm. So by fasting. Um, that helps us add some control by relaxing the individual, by asking them to breathe as normally as practical. Yeah. That adds further control. Right. And that, that enables us to get a, a series of numbers, a series of data mm. that we can then use to calculate 24-hour energy needs. Right. Yeah. But moreover than that, it allows us to look at what fuels are being used predominantly to yeah. generate that energy. Yeah. And that's because uh, carbohydrate glucose fuel produces more carbon dioxide right. per molar value yeah. than fat does. Yeah. So we can look at the ratio between the oxygen that's used mm. and the carbon dioxide that's produced. So are you saying that glucose burners are bad for the environment? Well, certainly, um, certainly you could argue yeah. that vegans and vegetarians <laughs> are significant greenhouse gas emissions indeed and okay. it's not just as carbon dioxide <laughs> and, and, and it's probably not it's probably not cattle that we should be overly worried about right um, at, um <laughs> the pulse eaters <laughs> well i'm just saying yeah um but yes certainly um uh, obviously we need a mix of fuels mm. okay at uh, 27 percent okay more greenhouse gas emissions <laughs> from, from uh, as a colleague has just right. uh, okay. indicated to me. Okay. So given that we produce this technology for clinical use, mm -hmm. we find that those dietitians and health professionals that currently use the ECAL mm -hmm. are able to individualize their nutrition plans based on whether somebody's generating energy from fat nice. or from sugar. Yeah. Okay. And there's been a lot of discussion in the literature about athletes, mm. whether athletes should be fat-fueled or sugar-fueled. Right. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. Again, we can tell mm. what they're doing at rest, and what they're doing at rest predicts what will happen when they, they, they exercise when and when explosive. they go under stress. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. So, so we found that ECAL provides information, precise information, mm that allows uh, health professionals and others that use it to individualize programs for their clients, whether that's for chronic disease management like type 2 diabetes and sure. obesity yeah. or for uh, wellness applications, anti-aging, yeah. or for uh, elite sports. This is, so I'm, as you know, I'm a computer programmer. By my, that's my career, as is my co-host, Carl. And as programmers, when we're debugging a process that's going awry, what we do is we create watch windows on variables that are responsible for the program going in the direction it is. And so you step through the program line by line, watching the variables change, and then that tells you where, where your problem is, and that identifies what to go in and fix. Yep. So this is almost like a watch window on human metabolism. So you can actually say, okay, what is this person's respiratory quotient? What is their basal metabolic rate? How efficient are their mitochondria? 
in this circumstance? And then can we make an intervention and can we change that? And it's almost like, I guess the glucometer was like this for diabetics. As soon as we had the glucometer, all of a sudden we were able to see the glycemic index of the food we were eating. And and that was probably one of the things that helped the low-carb movement more than anything else was freely available glucometers. It's access to data um, from, from a programmer's point of view that I find fascinating. The analogy that we've used previously mm. is really a blood pressure cuff. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, you know, high blood pressure is a symptom of mm. other things, mm. but but it's dangerous if not managed. Yeah. And in the absence of a of a blood pressure cuff, mm. the clinician is is essentially guessing the degree of hypertension and the degree right. of risk. Okay. Yes. So. You're absolutely right. By managing particular variables, mm. in this, in our case, metabolism, mm. we can make an intervention and then most importantly validate the effectiveness of that intervention. Right. And if that intervention doesn't achieve the outcome mm. that we anticipate, mm. we can then evaluate further. Yeah. To give you an example of that, we might measure somebody, understand that, that perhaps they're not generating energy from fat stores. Mm-hmm. Make an intervention, a low carbohydrate diet, for instance, yeah. that would reasonably, we would reasonably expect them to stop burning fat. Mm-hmm. Measure them again and find actually maybe they're not. We could then investigate with pathology mm. to understand why. Have they got high serum cortisol? Um, we, we've had sex hormone abnormalities. We've had other abnormalities that yeah. are quite discreet yeah. um, and wouldn't necessarily be looked for through primary pathology. Sure. Yeah, okay. Sure. So, it's enabled us to build an algorithm, mm. a managed care algorithm mm-hmm. that starts by saying, what's your energy requirement? Yeah. Um, and, and that in itself, and there's a big argument about oh, do calories matter and, mm. and in the context of traditional uh, nutrition policy, probably they don't. Mm. But if, you, if you're looking to lose weight, mm. you really want to ensure that some of that energy mm. comes from your own fat stores. Right. Yeah, so you want so, you get your RQ as low as you can. And exactly. You want your basal metabolic rate to be as high as you can. And, exactly right. And, so yeah. so we need to understand, we need to put some numbers around mm. the philosophy of saying, well, let's use some of your own energy. Yeah. But let's not make that such an extreme restriction that you can't maintain the program. Mm. Or you've got other hormonal factors that impact on your ability to burn fat, and we can measure that. Yeah. Okay. So this algorithm that we've then developed looks at one variable at a time. Mm. Are they burning fat? Mm-hmm. Is the individual's energy level much higher or much lower than right. would be expected? Yeah. Are there factors that we can look at mm. to change that? Yeah. Are they doing too much exercise? Right. Are they doing too little? Yeah. So there's a whole range of – metabolism is hugely complicated, and there's a whole range of variables. What we attempt to do is – to take that one stage at a time. And eCal and the technology we use around that um, allows us just to break that down into, you know, small chunks of the elephant. As yeah. It were. yeah. So, so this eCal technology is verified by the Australian Therapeutic Goods Association? Yes, it's, it's a class two medical device. Right. So uh, we achieved in 2015... Um, CE certification. Right, for Europe. Yeah. For Europe, mm-hmm. okay. And then f- off the back of that, we receive reciprocal certification um, by TGA. Okay. Although we're an Australian company. Yeah, that's um, ironic, but well, you had to get the European 
certification first? Well, we chose to. Yeah, it was a um, simple route. Yeah. It, because um, it, obviously it gave us much wider access. Mm. Some of our research has been conducted in Europe. Um, and there are, there are reciprocal relationships with Australia and various other countries that, that, that actually, strangely enough, don't work the opposite way around. Um, <laughs> Unlike the toilet politics. bowl water. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so, yes, it's a, it's, a, it's a class two medical device. Mm-hmm. Um, and it operates and what's fascinating for us and I, I come back to the point that we built this tool really for health professionals in clinical management mm. is that the early adopters have mostly been researchers right and they knew the context within which to use it absolutely they understand exactly how to use it sure. but what we found was that there was a there was an opportunity for a relatively simple device. Mm. In uh, applied research, right, particularly where you need to be able to test many people mm. in a fixed period of time, sure. And the traditional technology there requires um, uh, a lot of calibration, requires technician access. It's it's a cumbersome tool, accurate, yeah. Yeah. but cumbersome tool. Ecal is accurate and an easy tool to use. Nice. So now we find that having developed. Uh, a supporter base, a customer base in university and, and hospital work. Right. We're now moving that further into uh, into clinical use. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I should mention it's not yet available in America. It's not. That's and, correct. And so it has to go through regulatory approval first before that's available. So most of our audience, uh, it's not really a retail device. It's more for like you, your gym might down the road at some point might have uh, one of these devices and they might um, uh, test your metabolic rate yep. for the purposes of uh, determining a diet or a dietitian might use it or a nutritionist or or um, an exercise physiologist might use it down yes. the road to identify what your metabolism is doing. So for our listeners, they don't need to go out and buy an eCal device. No, no. <laughs> but... Um, uh, but it, the, the the actual technology behind it is fascinating because so so when you tested me, um, I, we've we've spoken about RQ today. That's the respiratory quotient. That's the amount of carbon dioxide over the amount of oxygen. It's a ratio. A yes, ratio. Yes. And the RQ in the case of a glucose burner is one point zero, and the ratio in the case of a fat burner is more like point seven. And yep. and a protein burner or somebody with a mixed meal is like around point eight five in right. that area. So it will tell you what the number that comes back will tell you what fuel source you're using. That's correct. So the concept of RQ, more accurately, mm-hmm. respiratory exchange ratio, RER, right. yes. because we're measuring what happens at the mouth. Yes. RQ is actually what happens at the cell. At the cell, okay. yeah. But at rest, the two are there's there's equivalence, there's accepted equivalence at rest. Um, so you're absolutely right. The the ratio was developed that really moves somebody from moving a hundred percent glucose burning to a hundred percent fat burning, yeah. um, and and that ratio um, is used in a number of areas. The standard physiology textbooks would assume that a mixed fuel burner hmm. um, has an RQ of somewhere between 0.8 and 0.85. Right. But we see a, a lot of clients, patients with chronic disease, hmm. okay, and many of those are are predominantly glucose burners. Yeah, I would expect a newly diagnosed di- uh, type 2 diabetic who's had insulin resistance for 20 years or so 
is probably predominantly burning glucose and storing it fat. Certainly an uncontrolled diabetic right, and, yeah. in that early identification. So, so and, and actually that opens up a really interesting um, early diagnosis yeah. um, um, uh, sort of opportunity in terms of insulin resistance and mm. prediabetes. And, yeah. and there are a number of large commercial interests mm. that are looking at that as a potential sort of therapeutic a option, a diagnostic, a diagnostic yep, option. Exactly you, could, right. you could probably find diabetics in the general population when you expect them to be eating a mixed diet and burning a mixed a mixed energy energy ratio if you find that they're only burning glucose that's pretty that's a pretty good indication well look if you remember back to sort of you know high school um, sort of biology when you eat a glucose meal a mixed meal I'm doing you're, first you're, year biology so I'm doing okay. high school well, biology pretty well, much I, I did I'm a chemist <laughs> uh, okay but when you eat a mixed meal your glucose level will rise very quickly anyway yeah. okay yeah. Um, and then you know for most people uh, would will fall fairly quickly yeah. yeah which is why we look at a 6 hour fasting window and not a longer fasting window that you might have in research right we want to see where somebody's at mm. at the end of their normal meal cycle right because that's yeah. actually what happens in the day sure. yeah. most people are still told to eat sort of 4 to 6 hourly mm. um whether they should or not is maybe for another <laughs> podcast um so we have a situation whereby in fact, we published at the Australian Obesity Society meeting last year, mm. two-thirds of the people that came to a primary care clinic fasted, okay, had RQs that suggested they, had, they were burning very little fat. Wow. So the, the RQs were all above 0.92. Yeah. Um, now, what's really interesting is that about a third of them immediately responded to burning more fat just through a simple change in the diet. Wow. And another third mm. had done that within a month. Yeah. And the final third needed further investigation, had some hormonal dysregulation. Right. But you've managed to get 66% of the, those people into a into a, a mixed fuel burning scenario. Quickly. Yeah. yeah. And and they, they, they were all fasted. Mm. We, uh, they were, and because we take a, a detailed pre- nutrition history, a prehistory of, of what they've had over the previous three days. Yeah. Um, very few of them were outliers and had very obvious, you know, nobody was chucking down Lucozade and, and orange juice and, and diets like that. Pounding glucose. No, exactly right. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so they weren't super loading. Um, so it's just the way, I think it's the way most of us are encouraged to eat. Mm, yeah. Lends itself to us generating high levels of glucose production. And, and particularly, you know, that some would argue that, that pre-diabetes it may exist for a decade before people have identified diabetes. It did with me. Uh, mm. Well, that certainly is suggestive of what we're seeing in clinic. Mm. Um, so, and, and maybe that actually um, um, predates the weight gain. Yeah. My diabetes happened after my weight gain, but my weight gain happened after my prediabetes. And so I, that these are all things, cofactors you know, co that, yep. that all, all, all occur from the same hyperinsulinemia. So there's something else we measure though. Mm. Okay. Uh, and I think this is really for us is equally important, but quite understated. So because we're measuring the amount of oxygen that's used, mm. what we're really saying is how efficient are the mitochondria right. in using that at rest, mm. the vast majority of oxygen that's taken into the body is used by the muscle mitochondria, yeah. okay, about 97%, something like that. Um, um, so what we can actually look at is how efficient 
are the mitochondria mm. and, and, and converting this food into fuel yeah. and, and, and doing, it, doing their job. So that has significant implications in terms of anti-aging strategies, healthy aging strategies. Mm. And there is a whole um, group of scientists that are particularly looking at uh, mitochondrial function right. and I, I, as opposed to mitochondrial disease, sure. but mitochondrial efficiency as a, as a protector mm. for chronic disease. Mm. And diabetes is an obvious one, but not yeah. just diabetes. The range extends through to things like uh, ALS, certain neurological yep. diseases, sure. to certain, certain tumor types, certain cancers, um, as well as the cardiometabolic diseases that, that more people talk about. Mm. So just by having a simple understanding of how much oxygen we use to, to metabolize the fuel yeah. uh, um, tells us an awful lot about how healthy mm. those cells are. Yeah. And Your again, mitochondrial efficiency, really. In terms it? of mitochondrial yeah. efficiency. And again, we can then make an intervention mm. and measure the change. And yeah. exercise is a particularly good intervention sure. here. Some supplementation. High-intensity interval training, put them, put them on that for a month and then go back and have a look and see if you've increased their mitochondrial efficiency. That's Absolutely awesome. right. At, um, so, so there's a number of things that we can get from this very simple mm. five to eight-minute hmm. breathing measurement. Um, and I think in your case, yeah. when we measured you, yeah, I also, I'm keen to get to we my also case. Measured, so, yeah. uh, we also measured. We measured a, a type one, a, a person with type one diabetes. Okay. Okay. At the same time, um, who, if I remember, was a little bit younger than you. Mm -hmm. Okay. And we measured someone who, by all intensive purposes, would be considered um, a very fit uh, individual, an exercise yeah. physiologist. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. If we line the three I, of I, you, I won't up, call her out, but I, but she knows who she is. She knows she, who she's she a is. Listener. Yeah. Okay. And she and she's actually challenged you now. Uh, Okay. okay, to some pistol squats, okay, because she <laughs> thinks she's on safer ground. <laughs> okay. but, but if we lined the three of you up mm. and took a visual snapshot yeah. of who was the healthiest. Yeah, you'd put me at the, at the worst end of the You'd probably thing. be yeah. at the worst end, yeah, exactly right. Yeah. But metabolically, mm. okay, and, and metabolically your journey had been going the longest as right. well. Yes. You, metabolically you were the healthiest yeah. You were the best user of fat. Mm -hmm. Okay. My IQ was 0.69. That's right. Which is, I mean, 0.70 is using 100% fat. So yeah. I, I was using 100% fat plus a little bit more. Well, plus, <laughs> plus a little bit extra. Okay. Yeah. Ketones. Um, you'd, and you'd been, you, you'd fasted for quite a while, if I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because we actually tested fairly late in the morning. Yeah. Um, so it, what was really fascinating was that for the person with type 1 diabetes, mm. we were able to confirm. Obviously, that they they have a number of therapeutic and nutritional challenges. They have to operate within very tight glucose windows. Absolutely. Okay. But what was really interesting that we could confirm with this individual was that the fuel load mm. matched the energy requirement. Right. Okay. So, and, and that which was, it should do. I mean, which it should, yeah. Which, which it Ideally, should do. Yeah. But actually, there's a strong case in a number of chronic disease areas mm. where people consistently underfeed. Right. Okay. Yes. Now, I think this individual would have identified that because he's a he's a cyclist and mm -hmm. committed cyclist, so he needs to fuel. Mm. But that was that was interesting for him. Mm. Okay. For the very fit individual, mm. had some really good energy efficiency. Yes. Okay. But probably quite high levels of stress, right. which reflected in quite a poor 
okay, uh, RQ. She'd been for a run the previous day. That would have caused some stress. And, and she'd also just driven for an hour and a half, right. and she was late getting here, yeah. and all sorts of things. So there were other factors, yeah. both physiological and, not, uh, and, and sort of psychological stress factors that impacted on that. Yeah. But I guess the point I want to make is that if we'd line the, the three of you up, yeah. and if we do what we all do as human beings, which make judgment calls in the way people look, books by okay, their cover. Yeah. we'd have got things completely wrong. And so that simple breathing test, yeah. and, and you'll remember there were 30 or 40 people watching. So yes. none of these were hugely relaxed situations. No. Oh, but um, I, that's, my, that's my natural element. I was probably more relaxed than anybody else because I, I had a presentation to do. I'd finished my slide, slides at the last minute. That's my natural environment. <laughs> so so, yeah. so uh, I was the least relaxed because I, I, we, we, we had a, a fault with the machine which turned out to be a breathing line. Okay. So, but it took us 20 minutes to work yeah. out what that was. But so, so this little test mm. can provide quite impactful information. I think that's the key. Yeah. Where we want to go with this now mm. is to democratize that information. So maybe it's not too far away for your listeners, mm. will be able to um, identify a local center yeah. where they can get this kind of testing done, okay? Yeah. And, and you're a software engineer through the, the ability of health-based apps and, right. and health-based information, providing there is good clinical, good professional support available, mm. um, which unfortunately a lot of these apps tend not to have. Yeah. I see a, a, a timeline maybe over the next sort of three years, right. whereby it would be entirely possible for someone to say, you know, I want to get a coronary calcium score, yeah, I want to scan. get a blood, a DEXA yeah. scan, and I want to get my metabolism tested. Yeah. Okay. And there'll be centers that do that. Right. I think for your listeners in the USA today, mm -hmm. we will, for our primary technology ECAL, um, begin the process of, uh, of moving into that market. We have interest from a number of clinical groups and research groups. So we have to go through a, an FDA approval yeah. program, yeah. which is made much easier by the fact that we already have European approval. And right. that was part of the reason yeah. for, for seeking European approval first. Sure. So you may see a machine wow. at a health professional near you so one in the near future. One interesting thing is that anyone who goes to KetoFest may get to see a machine. Yes, Possibly. well, well we're, I'm being we're, 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 we're being yeah. bullied into bringing somebody. <laughs> I, 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 th I think we had such a good time uh, at the uh, low carb meeting on the Gold Coast, yeah. and the level of genuine interest from right. health professionals and and consumers was was so high mm. that really one of us. Um, should come to Keto Fest. Okay. We're just fighting internally at the moment to see which one of us is to going go. to be. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, that's awesome, John. And uh, that's been a great interview. Thank you very much for inviting me over to Western Australia to your event. It was a wonderful event, as I said, and thank you for sitting down with us to talk about your technology. You're most welcome. I hope people find it interesting. You Wow, that was great. You know, Richard, I knew that we breathe out the weight that we lose, yeah. but I didn't know vegans were a threat to global warming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. You know, we, that's just a joke. Yeah. Vegans, don't write me. I love you. <laughs> no, write him. Uh, I'm sorry. Yes. I, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, annoy him. Go on to his live events and 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 annoy him about all that meat that he's eating. <laughs> anyway, I'm really interested in in his uh, eCal technology, and I'm right. uh, 
discouraged that when I when I went to LabCorp, which is one of my local labs here, they did not have an RQ test. Right. There was a lot of respiratory viral tests and other things, yeah. but nothing like that. So I'm hoping that uh, people wise up to it. You'll find them mostly at universities uh, where they're doing metabolic testing uh, or in uh, some gyms will have them as well. Um, but oh, okay. but uh, John is bringing his device to KetoFest this year, which will be awesome. Yeah, so, that's what he said. Yeah. I can't wait. But I do have a question for you, Richard. Yeah. Um, John said he tested your RQ with two other people. Yeah who you didn't really uh, describe all that much metabolically. Can you describe these other two people? Yeah, one of them is a triathlete who had type 1 diabetes. And like most people with type 1 diabetes, he's quite slim. And like most triathletes, he's also quite slim. Yeah. We actually have him coming up as one of our our interviews uh, from Perth, which is awesome. And the other one? And the other is an exercise physiologist, uh, and she is extremely fit. And yet your score came out the best. Yeah, my mitochondrial efficiency was higher than either of the other two. Also, my, the amount of fat that I was burning as well was much higher than the other two. And, yeah. I mean, genetically, I I have some advantages. My, my my father was a representative rugby player, and so genetically I'm I probably have – probably predisposed to 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 being athletic Mm. and also i do a lot of endurance cycling and that's yeah really i have really high aerobic efficiency but i liked what you said that when you put the three of you guys together and just look visually you wouldn't think that the the guy who has the more weight to lose is the healthiest person in the room well, I was... You know, metabolically. Uh, I, w- I certainly had the most efficient mitochondria and I was burning the most yeah. fat. You wouldn't be able to tell that from from, from external yeah. appearances. And it just goes to show you that you, you really can't tell from how much body weight somebody has whether they're fit or not, you know. Right. So yeah, we judge people that way all the time. And as right. you can see in the social media that's been going on lately, that's people ridiculous. just question why yeah. why somebody with the body fat that we have is, uh, you know, sort of leading the charge or are very popular among the ketogenic community. Well, you know, it's it's our metabolism. We have some experience at reversing diabetes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's really what it comes right. down to. But one thing that John said was that he measured lots of people and my mitochondrial efficiency is uh, almost pegging the scale. There was only, as far as I, I'm aware, there's only one person who has a higher mitochondrial efficiency that he's tested, and that was uh, Olympic swimmer Eamon O'Sullivan. So you know, wow. it, it, it's uh, that's all the that's all the cycling I'm doing. You know, so oh, that's amazing. That, that was a great interview, and uh, I know it was there was some technical stuff in there, but uh, I'm I plan on listening to it again. <laughs> well, are you peckish, my friend? I am a little bit peckish. I'm also a little bit puckish. <laughs> All right, then it's time for Recipes! Recipes! What you got, Carl? Well, I have an update to an existing recipe, and it's mm-hmm. one of the recipes that I showed uh, on Carl's Keto Kitchen last week. Cool. It's uh, chorizo queso. Mm. And it's still at the same link. You know, we, we link it in our recipe page, mm-hmm. and we'll link it in this one, but I just updated it. and But because... The previous one, I was using xanthan gum to thicken it. Right. And I, it's so much better with sodium citrate, <laughs> you know? It is really, isn't it? It's so much better. 
Yeah. So here's the story. All you really need to do is take uh, about a half a pound of ground chorizo sausage. You can use more if you want. It doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. uh, you take about a half a cup of water and bring it to a boil with about a teaspoon of sodium citrate in it. Now, this is because I'm using less water than Morris does in his cheese sauce. It's yeah. going to be thicker. Yeah. And it needs to be hot in order to be loose enough to be able to be taken up with a pork rind or a chicken yeah. skin or something. Yeah. So you get that boiling and then you just put in some cheese. And I used a blend last week of cheddar and jack. It was sort of a cheddar jack blend. Mm -hmm. But if you use eight ounces of shredded Monterey Jack cheese and eight ounces of shredded mild cheddar cheese, you just sprinkle that in and then bring it down to low heat. Continue to stir it until it gets combined and viscous, right? Mm. And then you add in the chorizo and some kind of, um, you know, uh, flavoring, Mexican flavoring. Yeah. In a pinch, you can use, uh, you know, a quarter cup of salsa or something like that. Just stir it in and you get that flavor. You know, the, the real flavor is coming from the chorizo. Yeah. Just don't ruin it like Carl did on the video with cilantro leaf. <laughs> well, you know, one man's ruin is another man's deliciousness, my friend. <laughs> yeah, well, I can I know it would taste like a, a bar of ivory <laughs> Irish spring to you. Exactly, but... <laughs> like a bar of soap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was it was delicious. And, and I just hadn't updated the recipe, so I did. And, nice. you know, the pictures are still of the last one. So mm -hmm. um, the next thing I need to do is get pictures uh, up there changed. But that's my recipe. It's an update. Yeah. Nice. What do you got? So people might have noticed that we started the the year with all of these small small dishes. <laughs> we've yeah, like, that was a good a idea. A couple of weeks ago, we've just like <laughs> segued off from that. I'm, I'm going to do a short and sweet recipe today. And it's actually an update of one of Carl's recipes earlier. But I've got some special information for Australians. Now, Carl's okay. recipe was using chicken skins and he was making crackers out of chicken skins. Fried chicken skins. Fried chicken skins. Well, I've actually f I found a technique uh, for making chicken skins, which uh, may be the most delicious way to eat schmaltz. <laughs> which ah, is the schmaltz, chicken fat, yeah. yeah. For Aussies, here's the trick. Go to your local poultry store. Uh, now, most shopping centres will have like a, a, a butcher's and they'll have a, a fruit and vegetable place and they might even have a fishmonger. And they usually have a poultry store which is just chickens and all, they're all segmented up, jointed up, and uh, they throw away the skins. Do you believe that? They throw it's a travesty. It's a, it, absolutely. it's a crime. So I said to this guy a week ago, I said, what do you do with the skins? And he said, oh, we just throw them away. I said, could I buy some from you? He said, sure. Um, we'll put aside all the skins in, for a week and uh, just swing by next week and, uh, and, 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 and pick them up. So I did. And I only got a kilo of skins from him, $2.50. Ah. Wow. <laughs> Ridiculously cheap, I know, right? So, yeah. so now here's here's the recipe. Well, the the recipe is you use Carl's technique for making bacon in the oven. So you want okay. a tray of bacon. Now we're not really making this for the bacon. The bacon's going to go into a into a bowl in the fridge, and it'll be like fridge bacon. We're right. doing this to get that uh, bacon uh, fond. On the parchment yeah. paper. So we put down a tray, parchment paper on top, bacon on top, bake it at 180 Celsius, 300 Fahrenheit for like yeah. 20 minutes or something. Yeah. 
20, 30 minutes. 20 or 30 minutes. And then take that bacon, put it in the fridge. What you have left afterwards is <laughs> bacon fond and, oh, and rendered bacon fat. Now, here's the thing. such a great idea. Yeah. You, I know. It's genius, <laughs> isn't it? So, now you take these chicken skins and you stretch them out so that uh, over the bacon fond yeah. and absolutely cover the whole the whole pan and then put another sheet of parchment on top and put another pan on top and then put a weight on top, okay? Now, could you have put uh, another parchment on top of the bacon in a pan when you cook it and then when you take that off, you could use that same piece you of could. parchment because now it's got bacon fat on the it's top of both it? both sides. <laughs> Abs- <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> just hang out with us, kids. You're going to eat well. <laughs> yeah. So now you just put this tray with, you want to wait on top of it to press it down for about right. 30 minutes and you want the skin side up and the, the fat side down. Yeah. Uh, and then what I do is I, I take the top tray off, flip all of the skins and take the top parchment off. So it, so we're exposing the top now. Flip all the skins so now the fat side is up, mm. well salted. Now everything is bacony. Chickeny, fatty, right. schmaltzy. So you want to taste it first, yeah. Just, just, well, <laughs> yeah, you definitely do. But You're just going a little to. bit of salt, just a little bit of salt. Yeah. The salt on the inside of the skin is going to is going to stick because it's nice and juicy. And then yeah. you put it in for another 20, 30 minutes. And these oh. these are like the best, okay. the best dipping chips. And then what are you going to dip them in? You can dip them in anything you want, but I like to dip them in a bit of um, avocado uh, blitzed up with some sour cream, uh, a yeah. little, little guacamole. A little guacamole, dip those chickens into that. Guacamole. Mm, yum. Oh, well, um, so we're doing another keto mini fest <laughs> on May 26th. Right. And I definitely want to use this technique for the appetizers. Yeah. We plan to do the chorizo queso again. Mm-hmm. And- uh, this time the chicken skins won't be deep fried, but I'm going to use your technique absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's Woo. the that's the technique. Just do it at home first, just because you need <laughs> yeah. to really um, <laughs> taste need to that experience stuff first. this. Yeah, you do. Without oh, so anybody good. else in the room, <laughs> seriously. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a very delicious show we have for you today. Hope you enjoyed it. Of course, if you have anything you want to tell us, something we said wrong, something you don't agree with, some more research that you found to support or refute anything that we've said, send it by email to dudes at 2ketodudes.com or post it on our website. And you can follow us on Twitter at 2KetoDudes, on Instagram at 2KetoDudes, on Twitch at 2KetoDudes, and on YouTube. (laughs) And of course, if you want to join the free ketogenic forum, it's forum.2keto.com. And if useless swag is your fancy, t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other junk with witty keto sayings on them, head over to gear.2keto.com. And if you want a shot at getting some of that swag for free, join the 2 Keto Dudes fan club. You'll be eligible to win something in every show. Go to fanclub.2keto.com. And if you feel like supporting our forums and all the podcasts we produce, including mm-hmm. 2 Keto Dudes, Keto Woman with Daisy Brackenhall, the Obesity Podcast with Jason Fung and Megan Ramos, and Keto Families with Mark Miller and Karen Mangicotti, think about making a monthly pledge on our Patreon page at Patreon. Or just hit the donate button on our website at www.2ketodudes.com or just go to donate.2keto.com. You can also see our podcasts and live streams and other videos on YouTube at youtube.2keto.com. And if you haven't already, go leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's how new people get to know about what we do. Oh, and tell them about Keto Fest. Yeah, Keto Fest is funded, kickstarted. 
So it's definitely happening on the 21st of July in 2018 in New London, Connecticut. That's about halfway between Boston and New York. And you can still buy tickets at ketofest.com. Yeah. Two Keto Dudes is brought to you by Two Keto LLC, who strives to support the low-carb community with podcasts and other publications. Well, Richard, keep calm, keto on, and fast when you can. Yeah, keep calm, keto on, and keto fast when you can. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we'll see you next time on Two Keto Dudes. Dudes.